Welcome to the Jackson Hole Connection. Thank you for subscribing and downloading my first 10 episodes. I deeply appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedules to join me while I visit with worldly interesting people connected to Jackson Hole. Please go to my website, thejacksonholeconnection.com, to offer feedback, provide ideas, and even request to be on the show. When you have the time, please subscribe, share, rate, and review this podcast. And today, I'm interviewing Rick Howe. Rick Howe is the Vice President of the Jackson Hole Chamber of Commerce. Rick also serves as a Director on the Board of the Wyoming State Chamber of Commerce and serves on the Board of Regents for the U.S. Chamber of Commerces. Rick is a husband, avid fisherman, hunter, outdoor enthusiast who really lives the spirit of the West and Wyoming. I'm excited and thrilled to have Rick Howe here. You're going to learn a lot more about who Rick Howe is, how he landed here in Jackson Hole. But before we begin, I have a quick word from one of our sponsors. Jackson Hole Marketplace, the small market in Jackson Hole with a huge reach. Stop in for hot coffee and homemade breakfast in the morning, awesome lunches in the afternoon, and finish the day with a soft serve ice cream and a six pack of beer. Need catering for breakfast or lunch? They can do it and deliver for free. Want to know more? Visit jhmarketplace.com. Rick, thanks for being here. Stefan, thanks for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here. Jackson Hole is such a great place, and you know, meeting people like you certainly helps me understand every day how grateful I should be and we should all be to live in a place like this. That's very kind of you. Um, I hope everybody feels that way, but I can't guarantee it. <laughs> Let's start off. We are here to connect. We're visiting. We're bringing back an old Southern tradition that I grew up with, which was we just go sit around, talk to people and visit. So I'm happy to visit with you today. I'm excited. What is your connection to Jackson Hole? What brought you here? Well, what brought me here was I'm going to go back to four years old. All right. You okay with that? Is everybody okay with that? I, I can handle it. Okay. I'm buckled in. So my father was a plant supervisor of General Motors in Southern Michigan. And being a plant supervisor, and this was back in the 60s, is he actually got the months of July and August off because those plants, those big uh, industrial plants, didn't have very good air conditioning. So they gave the top-level folks two months off. Do they have air conditioning? They did have air conditioning, okay. but it was more like a swamp cooler. Okay. And if anybody knows what that is, <laughs> it really just puts condensation in the air, a little mm -hmm. bit cool, and it's still pretty darn hot. So. And so what he did is I'm one of five children. And what he decided to do was take those two months every year and get all five of us, the children, to all 50 states by the time we graduated high school. So we'd take those two months and travel. And I can tell you that I was, at the time, four years old. So I was born in 1963. So... Uh, in 1967, I remember we took a Chris Craft trailer, a uh, Caprice Classic, imagine that. <laughs> Two adults, my mother, my father, and five children, and we went cross-country. And we were told we were going out to this place called Wyoming. And we were also going to Colorado and Montana. And the interesting part was at four years old, I took the drive up over Togety Mountain Pass, and for any of us who have been over that pass, as soon as you come to the top and you're heading west, you see that incredible panorama of the Grand Tetons and the valley below. We camped at the Grovant Campground. We camped at Signal Mountain Lodge, and we camped one other place I can't quite remember off the top of my head. Long story short is I don't remember any of the other states. 
I went home and immediately, and remember I was four years old, I immediately took a permanent Sharpie on a white wall in my bedroom, (laughs) stood on a chair, and drew the Grand Tetons, the Snake River, a buckrail fence, the molten barn, horses. And it was a panorama. So it was probably about a 10-foot long drawing. And remember, I was four years old. I bet your mom was thrilled to see that on the wall. That's what I was about to say. (laughs) So I actually learned through this experience the power of manifestation because my parents walked into the room and, of course, said, what the blank are you doing? (laughs) And they were so upset with me that they chose not to paint over it. So, as crude as the drawing may have been, every morning when I woke up, I got to see the Tetons, and at least my version (laughs) of the Tetons and horses in the Snake River, and I knew that's where I wanted to live. So, let's fast forward about 15 years, and I was just like my grandfather and my uncle and my father. My family vocation was to be in the automotive industry, and I actually received a scholarship to go to General Motors Institute. Um, I was one of those folks who went to school early, so I went to kindergarten when I was four, graduated when I was 17, high school, and immediately uh, went to try to go further my professional development and took some courses, and then I went to actually um, activate my scholarship. And the interesting part was, this was in Flint, Michigan, and uh, nothing against Flint, but it's not the prettiest place in the world. I mean, I'm a Michigander at heart. However, I walked in, and it was this metal Quonset Hut building. It was in March, which is typically a very gray time in Michigan, which it certainly was that day. And, boy, I just saw the industrial, best way to put it is I saw smog. I saw things that weren't clean. All the snow was gray. And I walked in to activate my scholarship. And I just remember looking at the woman, and that was before computers. And I remember looking at the woman. She had me fill out my paperwork. I pulled out my ID, and I stopped her. I slid the paperwork back to her, and I just turned around and started walking out the door. And she said, Mr. Howe, Mr. Howe, she said, you know, you have to activate your scholarship. And I turned around and said, I beg to differ. I don't have to activate (laughs) anything. And I walked out the door. And the interesting part was I actually walked out that door, and I felt so free at that moment. It was one of those things. And it's not that I was a rebellious teen. I mean, we all are to some extent, but I just felt like at that moment, my life was mine. And the first person I contacted, the person I was closest to in my life was my grandfather. And I called him up and I just said, and his name was Kenneth. And I said, uh, grandpa, I said, I just wanted to let you know, I'm not going to activate my scholarship. And he said, well, then what are you going to do? And I said, you know, I'm going to move to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And the interesting part is he said, what are you going to do once you get there? And I said, I have no idea. So I had $264 in the bank. Gas at that time was, I think, about 52 cents a gallon. I rented a U-Haul trailer for about $68, had just enough money to make it to Jackson Hole, uh, made it to Jackson Hole, ended up staying uh, actually not too far from here in the Ponderosa Apartments at that time, uh, temporarily for a couple weeks. And the funny part is the first place I went to was the Chamber of Commerce mm-hmm. and asked them, like, who are the top five people I should speak to? I've just moved here, and I just kind of did it on a wing and a prayer. And the interesting part about that story is that has – opened up to me a world of opportunities, which I certainly never envisioned in my lifetime I would, I would be um, connected with. So when you talk about the Jackson Hole connection, 
so many people think of this as a remote community. In my mind and in my world, it actually freed me up to do anything I wanted to. And I guess I've kind of always lived my life and just going back to that decision I made. I was the first person in my family. So coming from Michigan, every Sunday, the entire family got together, grandkids, nieces, nephews, uncles, aunts, and we'd all watch the Lions games and nobody ever moved away from each (laughs) other. So I was a little bit of a black sheep of the family for about eight years. And the rest of that story is, is some of my family members, including my father, my father really didn't want to speak to me for about eight years, but they would send me Christmas cards as you do, you know, just to connect. And they would spell Wyoming W-H-Y. And the reason they did that is anytime I talked to them, they'd go, why the hell would you ever move to a place like Jackson Hole, Wyoming? Well, eight years later, nine years later, you know, unfortunately, um, situations happen and family members pass away. My grandfather passed away. My father and I finally connected. And he actually, for the last couple of years of his life, uh, uh, he actually came out every year. He was so happy with the decision I made for myself. He was just more upset that I didn't do what he wanted me to do. So long story short is it also helped, I think, repair my relationship because quite honestly, I can look back and again, nothing against that industry, but I go back and see friends who I graduated with high school with who did take that path, and they're just not that happy with their lives. And, you know, they're constantly complaining about the position they're in and the job they're in and that the automotive industry really is never going to recover. And it's just fascinating because, again, I've uh, certainly experienced some amazing career paths by making that decision. Fascinating. And I think it's wonderful to hear how it did take your dad several years to come back and re-engage with you. But over time, I have a feeling that he could appreciate what you did. And he began to appreciate uh, where you were and could come to terms with, it wasn't what he wanted, but it's what you wanted. And he could see that you were living the life that you were destined to live. Absolutely. And for me, I can tell you about six years into that eight-year stint that he really didn't speak to me is when the automotive industry crashed. So that's when I think he finally had that moment of, you know, they call it the aha moment where he went, wow, that was probably the smartest decision that my son ever made. And also when he came out here for the first time after that, I was on the Jackson Town Council. So I had been elected, actually at that time was the youngest town council member ever elected um, in Jackson, Wyoming. And so, of course, he came and I was you know, there were typically stories on the front page. They may not have been so kind to me, but <laughs> but, but anyways, he was very proud uh, that I had connected and that I had found the place that he finally realized that I belonged. Mm-hmm. So, From that point, you have not stayed here in Jackson Hole from that original settling. You've had the opportunity to actually travel the world sure. and had several careers throughout your lifetime. Was that move here what sparked your interest to to go experience new things? Well, the interesting part is I've always, no matter what I've done career-wise, I've always always known that Jackson Hole is my home. Um, I had an opportunity through just what I love to do here, through fishing and snowmobiling and outdoor activities. I actually met somebody in the music business, and and you know this, but from the podcast standpoint, I'll say it was Gary Rosington with the Leonard Skinner Band, is he and I met, and this was before they actually reformed the band back in 1987. Um, he and I met in 1984. Again, we were out uh, enjoying outdoor activities and through my associations with him, and I was also general manager of a hotel at the time, 
Um, he started mentioning that because the fan base was so strong and they were still selling so many albums and cassettes, for those of you that don't know what those are, look back <laughs> in history. There used to be albums, cassettes, and that's when CDs were first coming out. Is they were selling almost 2 million pieces of their catalog each year after they had the plane crash. So in 1977, the band unfortunately had a horrible plane crash, which killed the lead singer, one of the guitar players, and a couple of the other band members and their support staff. In 1987, they reformed the band just as a reunion to say thank you to the fans for keeping the music alive. And out of that reunion was the rebirth of the Leonard Skinner that we see today, which unfortunately this is their last year touring for those of you that don't know that. So if you get a chance and you hear Leonard Skinner is in your area, certainly stop in and see him. I mean, they're still just as enthusiastic about music as they were the day they first started. Uh, And that's not always the case with music nowadays. So to complete that story is after about nine or ten years of being friends with not only Gary but becoming friends with his wife Dale and a lot of the band members who used to just come out here and enjoy themselves, kind of some decompression is I was asked to be their tour manager. And at the first incarnation of that ask, I guess, is they probably weren't ready and I wasn't ready just because of some some of the issues that had gone on in the music business for many years and I really wasn't willing to throw myself into that without some changes on their part. But after a long conversation and some things coming together and some heartfelt friends sitting down and saying, here's what we expect of each other in 1996 is when I actually took that position. And That, again, was through my association of being in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and he and his wife had moved here um, after they uh, formed the Rosington Collins Band, and then that band broke up, and they just moved here because they fell in love with it on vacation, as many of us do. And from that point forward, as as, uh, you said, Stefan, I mean, I got an opportunity for 10 years to travel the world and um, see a whole different perspective of so many things. And I think that opportunity to be away, because I was traveling over 330 days a year for that 10-year period, is being away from Jackson sometimes is the best thing you can do to come back and live here again full time, if that makes any sense. Because you learn to appreciate, I think, uh, and I'll, I'll divert here for a moment, but there are psychological reasons that people are drawn to the mountains. And I've had some very good friends, and one I'll name, his name is Dr. Shahidul Islam, who is the naval officer, the naval medical officer, um, uh, for many years, if so, like from 1980 to 1995. He and I became good friends. I met him through an association on the road. Long story short is he asked me where I lived, and this is while I was in the music business. And he and I started speaking, and he gave me a couple of books of why people are drawn to the mountains and the energy that draws people here, why they come here, and why certain people can be and do so well in places like this, and also the reverse side, why it may not be the best people. And I was just fascinated because I'd never heard that before. And it's a whole, again, psychological piece to the puzzle of why people are drawn to this place. You know, it's that old saying, you know, the mountains are, mountains are calling, therefore I must go. I mean, that holds true with so many people, and I being one of those. So, I kind of feel the same way the mountains called me and i i just had to reach out and my brother was living here so he said come and visit and as soon as i i didn't have the togany mountain experience i came in from the south and coming in from the south you see just a small smidgen of the tetons but as soon as you see them 
man, it is just uh, moving in so many different ways for each person. And I knew that that's where I needed to be was in the mountains. And I love it every single day and every day that I get to look out a window or drive around town and see whether it's the Tetons, the Snake River Range, the Hoback Range, whatever Grovant Range, whatever mountain range it is, I appreciate it. Yes, and I can certainly say that for me, I being so many different places in the world is every place I visited, and there were many places that were fantastic, it was always so wonderful to get back home. Uh, it, you know, it's a feeling that you have. It's, uh, it's for me, people come here, and some people may never get here in their entire lifetime. They'll always wish they do. There are some people that will only be able to come here once in their lifetime. We get that opportunity every day. So I really think, and I live my life by this, and I know you certainly do too, is you know the gratitude that I have for being able to be in a place like this, to wake up every day, to experience the people that I get to connect with and the relationships I've made in this valley. And certainly to me, out of any place I've been in the world, I mean, this is a place where I have the strongest relationships, the deep-seated relationships that I know will last a lifetime. Indeed. I, I, feel, I do feel the same way. I, I want to circle back a little bit. And so you started here as a hotel manager. Well, you worked your way up to being a hotel manager. You were on the town council, the youngest town council member. Then you go and from invitation to be the road manager for a now Music Hall of Fame band, the Leonard Skinner band. You, over time, you come back to live in, here in Jackson. I'm sure this was your home base. Over, Absolutely, yes, yes. Over those years. And now you are the vice president of the Chamber of Commerce. You are a major leader in our community. You have been recognized on the state level, the national level, through leadership of the chamber. How do you do this every day, Rick? What drives you to, to do what you do? Because this is not ordinary, everyday accomplishments. Well, I certainly appreciate those. Uh, uh, you're descriptive of that, Steph. And I just know that from a very young age, and I mentioned it before, you know, the person I was closest to in my life was my grandfather. And, you know, he always would instill in me certain philosophies. And, you know, first and foremost, he, he always said to me, and this was at a young age before I ever have a, had a job, he said, you know, when you get something you love, Make sure you love it every day. Don't just love it every once in a while because like anything in life, you know, things require nurturing. And I'm not a placeholder. And I also teach classes with some of the positions I'm in now. I'm also on the faculty for the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. So I teach some of this information to people is if you're coming into your office or your place of business every day and just doing what everybody else has done, then my personal feeling is why are you there? Because... I want to have an impact and create an impact not only on the businesses I'm with, but the people that I'm around. You know, I certainly want people to be able to say, wow, that's, that, there's something special in that person. I, I want to be around that person. I want to learn from that person. I want to share with that person because you feel good about going to work every day. And I think that philosophy that he instilled with me, and there's a couple other things that may not be directly related, but these are certainly the same philosophies, is, you know, always remember that 
Um, if you always tell the truth, you'll never have to remember what you said. Yeah, you know, so I can tell true. you in business, think about that. <laughs> I mean, we've all been here in business, and you know, this is certainly part of my class. It's not that I feel like I'm teaching here, but I want to tell you some of the philosophies I live by is, you know, have I in my lifetime told a lie? I'm, I'm sorry, we all have. We've all done it. We've all been caught. But think of what happens when you tell that lie, mm-hmm. right? You spend so much time working your way, manipulating your way around that, that what if you just in the beginning said, and if it's something where something was wrong, why not just say, you know something, I did it, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to do it, I certainly had the right intentions, let's fix it and move on. Think of how much easier it is to do that than to spend two weeks having your company and your business try to figure out what went wrong. Own up to the truth, indeed. Own up to the truth, and then the, the other point that he always taught me was, you know, there is no pleasure ever worth someone else's pain. And, you know, as an 11-year-old child, having your grandfather tell that to you, because I'd go out hunting with him and, you know, before I could get a tag and uh, because I was just fascinated by the, by the appreciation he had for nature, which is really certainly where I got it as well. And he'd, he'd always say that, remember that, no matter what you do, there is no pleasure ever worth someone else's pain. And mm-hmm. of course, I'm scratching my head as an 11-year-old, going, what is he talking about? But then you get into your 20s and, you know, things happen, you see things around you, even things that you experience and you go, oh man, you know, my insatiable need to do this thing without thinking of those other people around me has hurt somebody else. So was that really worth it? And, you know, I think when you apply that to business too, I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll say it. I mean, look at some of the things like look at um, Bernie Madoff. I mean, wow. <laughs> you know? I mean, think of that for a moment. When all the investigations and everything came down, look at all the people around him that knew what was going on that did not say anything because in their mind they're like, well, I'm making a bunch of money here and I got the world by the cojones or whatever, you know, so <laughs> why would I say anything? It's going to ruin my spot. Well, you know, the reality is it's not going to ruin anything. It's going to help people. And look at all the pain that caused people. I know that's a large example, but when you applied it to your daily life, and these are certainly philosophies that I live by, and I think it really helps me each day to come up and face just about anything and face it with any challenge, I guess. And every, every, every challenge is an opportunity. You know, every opportunity is a is another way for me to take another step up, increase my capabilities. And, you know, with increased capabilities comes your increased ability to take risks and take chances. And my life, I can say, I've certainly taken a lot of risks and a lot of chances. But if you take that best bet scenario, I say, you know, take a statistical best bet of what you know to be right. You know, not everything's going to be perfect, but uh, we mentioned it before. I don't think think it was before the podcast. You're always going to come to forks in life. You know, don't waste your time trying to decide which fork to take. Just take one. Take one that feels right. You know, whatever the energy is of the moment, what feels right, take it because you're probably going to face another one and take that one too. You know, never get to that point where you're 80 years old on the porch saying, gosh, I regret not doing that. And again, it's got to be, you know, ethical, moral, legal, but never get to a point where you say, I wonder what would have happened if I would have made that decision. If you have the ability to make it, and again, applying those philosophies I said before, you know, where it doesn't cause someone else any pain. And, you know, you can take that guess and that risk and move forward with things. I mean, it just might open up not only a world of opportunity for you, but a lifetime's worth of memories. 
And I'm certainly not done with the memories I've had in life, but I can tell you, I've just, I've had some incredible ones and I've been around some great people and uh, I'm just so grateful. I mean, do I have bad days? Yes, we all do. But I think the important part with that, and you mentioned it from a work aspect, is most people will never know that I'm having a bad day at work because why would I bring that to work? And we've also been around those types of folks as well who bring drama to work every day, and we don't want to be around it. So why do I want to be part of that and share that with people as well? I think those are some very insightful philosophies and uh, mantras that you live by every day. And from what I gather, your grandfather was a wise man. And I think you were very fortunate to have him and as were your other four siblings. Absolutely. To to have such a involved grandfather in in your life. And I had that as well. Um, And I can say I am partly who I am and I do what I do and have the work ethic that I have because of my grandfather. Absolutely. And, you know, my my father also, uh, you know, unfortunately has passed on as well. So, uh, you know, it's just interesting. Nothing against my father. I just wanted to point that out. It's just that my grandfather took that certainly keen interest in teaching so many things to all of us. And, you know, that goes without saying. I'll just say it real quick here for everybody is, you know, call up your parents, call up your grandparents if they're still around and tell them how much you love them and how much you appreciate them. Because, you never know how much you appreciate them really until they're gone. And you'll never be sorry for making that additional call and, and certainly letting them know how you feel. Well said. I can't call my parents anymore and tell them I love them and how much I appreciated them. And sometimes even if that relationship is not as strong as it should be, pick up the phone and be the person to make the phone call. Absolutely. Be yeah. the bigger person if you've had a conflict. And we all do. I mean, sorry. Let's just say this right up front. Families are dysfunctional. So, <laughs> we all know that. Yes. So. I, I think the real definition of family is dysfunctionality. It's all a matter of how we manage that dysfunctionality and how well we can all maneuver in that dysfunctionality. So, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. You said something that your grandfather shared with you, one of the first ones, about love. Can you share that again, please? So thanks for bringing that up again, is my grandfather said love is something that requires nurturing. In order to get love back from something, it requires some work. So love isn't just something that happens, whether it be friends or family or anybody you speak about. I mean, really, you get out of something what you put into it. And I know, uh, you know, as you mentioned, I mean, I have an absolutely lovely wife who uh, she and I get along incredibly well. But do we have disagreements? Absolutely. Everybody does. We're human beings. There's a, but those disagreements aren't fights. There's a big difference. And you know, when you truly love someone and when you truly love something, there are certain compromises that at times you need to make, understanding that it's not about being right. It's about appreciating someone for who they are, listening to them, and understanding that people have feelings. And that was really one of the the basic foundations of life that he really tried to teach me too, is when you find love, don't lose it because you didn't know how to appreciate it. Mm -hmm. And that's really the premise of that is that get up in the morning, tell someone you love them, whatever your relationship is, whoever your partner is, you know, appreciate them. Understand that they're not always going to wake up and be the same as you are as far as your energy level or your excitement level on things. 
and understand that sometimes you need to come to their side of the street, if that's the best way to, to describe it. You know, you're, you're two separate people living in one environment. And making that environment work for both of you on a daily basis all day long is not, an, it's not easy. You know, I, I can certainly tell you that, you know, through relationships I've had in my life, I've learned, you know, it's, um, I've grown. And I guess that's the way to, to put it. So going back to what he, he initially said is, when you get something you love, learn to appreciate it and learn that you've got to put something into it to get that love back. Looking back as well as with the travels that you have had, what's a story that you could share with us that some people might not know? So an interesting part about the music business is sometimes, and this is when I was first started working with them. So you had initially said road manager in the beginning. So road manager and tour manager are a little different. Oops, I just want to give you, that. no, no, okay. it's, it's, I know it was not of, it's just, um, a tour manager also does all the writing, recording all the off tour stuff as well. The funny part about the music business, like when I first got in there, the band had like 12 managers. I had no idea <laughs> what the separate ones did, but I can tell you after four months, we had two. So that kind of tells you that, the agreement that we had or what we shared together, they believed in. And I think there's going in is there's certainly a lot of uh, things to be said for trust in any business and relationship. So they trusted me. I trusted them. I didn't work for anybody else. So what I can say is when I went to them with concerns, which is one of the reasons they brought me on board in the first place, is because I wasn't, the money wasn't the issue with me. I was friends with them. I cared about them. I saw a lot of things that happened in that industry that when they get up on stage, they're preparing for the show, they're up on stage, and then they're coming down from the show. And it takes, I mean, people don't realize this. They don't just get off stage at 11 o'clock and go to bed. You know, you're on a tour bus, you're traveling until three or four o'clock in the morning with them up because they're so energized and so wound up. And I mean, this is a clean and sober band we're talking about. So don't think on the back end. So, you know, they're so excited and so hyped up that they can't look after their daily business. So for me, looking after their daily business was my first priority. So that takes me to this story is... When there was still another manager, who I won't say the name, but what I will say is that person really uh, shouldn't have been around them in the first place. That was another person that I was coming up with some concerns for the business. And he called me up one day and he said, hey, he said, uh, uh, we've got you a new tour assistant. And I said, well, who's that? And I won't say his last name, but his name is Jason. And he said, uh, he's going to start with you on this world tour. And I said, well, who is Jason? He said, oh, it's my brother-in-law. <laughs> Right. Yeah, so you get where I'm going with this. It was because you knew somebody, not because you knew about the business or knew how to do something right. And I said, well, where did he come from? Has he ever worked for another band before? And he said, no, but he said, oh, the band fully supports it. And at that time, we were getting ready to go out on tour. We'd been looking for somebody. That was his job was to find me tour support. So this guy Jason goes out and we did a couple shows. I think we did couple shows in Italy. We did a couple shows in Sweden. We did a couple shows in Norway. And we're getting ready to fly from Helsinki to Tokyo. And we did a festival. Uh, I think it was called Nordic Fest in Helsinki, Finland. We stayed at this beautiful hotel, spent the night. And one of the rules of the road when I was touring with them that was that certainly 
any of the touring support could go out and enjoy themselves, but you weren't allowed to drink. You weren't allowed to do anything that could hurt the band. On your off time, certainly you could, you know, go out and enjoy yourself, go out and have a few drinks or something, but we just didn't want that around the, the entertainment. So this gentleman, unbeknownst to me, had stayed out all night until about 4 o'clock in the morning. So I'm going to go back now. We all get up at about 5 o'clock in the morning. We go to the Helsinki uh, airport. We're going to the airport, and there's what's called an equipment manifest, which means when you fly overseas, everything is measured, weighed, identified, case numbered, so that the international customs agents can look at it, can open it up, can test a few cases, Mm -hmm. can make sure everything as it is. Because, you know, you're traveling across country lines. They want to make sure there's nothing illegal coming across or nothing that shouldn't be there. And his job was to make sure all the equipment got on what it's called rocket cargo. They fly all around the world. So I woke him up at like 3.30 in the morning, which is when I got up. We checked all the band out. We got everything ready. I take the band to the airport. I called Jason up and said, everything's ready to go. We got everything right outside the hotel. And you got to remember, when I say everything, we're talking about guitars. There's a certain guitar that Gary Rosington had called Bernice named after his mother. It was a 1956 custom Les Paul Gibson. This thing's irreplaceable. That, a custom fender that Ricky Medlock had, you know, everybody's got their own individual piece of equipment that makes them sound the way they do. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff I'm talking about here. We're talking about probably over a million and a half dollars worth of equipment that's sitting outside in cases ready to be picked up, right? Just where the venue was. Called him, made sure everything's all set. He said, yes, everything's ready to go. I fly to Tokyo, get the band in, get them in their hotel. I'm waiting for Jason. Jason shows up. Just Jason shows up. (laughs) And I said, Jason, when can we expect Rocket Cargo with the equipment? And he looked at me and his face turned white. I could certainly tell that he had been out the night before. And as I'd mentioned before, then I found out he'd been out until about four o'clock in the morning. And I said, where is the equipment? And he just looked at me and I knew we were in trouble. So now that I'm not with the band anymore, I can tell <laughs> the rest of the story is... <laughs> like Paul Harvey. Uh, right. The rest of yeah. the story. Well, they're all in their hotel, and of course, they're calling me up going, hey, tell us when the equipment gets there, because, you know, they want to go, and they've got little lamps that they practice with in their hotel and stuff, and it's like, hey, where's Bernice, and where's my fender? And I said, guys, we just got a little bit of a delay. Well, at the same time, I'm calling back to the hotel. Luckily, the concierge of the hotel ran outside, and are you ready for this? And this is after a nine-hour trip. All of the equipment was still there beside the hotel, beside the venue. Nobody had touched it. No. So I told the concierge, I said, if he could watch that stuff for me or hire, get some security from the hotel, I would certainly take very good care of him. What I then did was got this Jason a flight back to Helsinki, Finland, got him to connect with Rocket Cargo. He connected with Rocket Cargo, who then got the equipment. But are you ready for this? We had a show that evening. The equipment got, and I kept telling the band members that it was delayed. We had a little bit of a delay, a little bit of a delay. Everything's going to be fine, which I had no idea it was going to be fine. And got him to fly back to Helsinki, Finland. He got the stuff on Rocket Cargo. I then flew him back to Tokyo and had him a flight back to the States, and that was the last show he ever worked for us. Then I personally delivered all the equipment to all the band members and said, sorry for the delay. 
Then after the tour, I was kidding before when I said I hadn't told him. After the tour, I told him what happened because they wondered why he got fired. And that was one of the most hair-raising experiences I can certainly have. And there were some fascinating experiences that don't involve anything that was potentially a showstopper. Let's put it that way. But I've had some fascinating experiences. But being in that business taught me so much more about business. And I really didn't know anything about the business going in. And the lesson I learned from that particular event was never listen to it's all taken care of. When you hear those words, I'm going to tell everybody in the audience, be concerned, trust, but verify, I guess is the best way to put that, you know, and put your trust in someone until they give you a reason not to. And in that case, I certainly had the reason not to. Uh, not only did he get fired, but then that manager got fired after the subsequent tour because of decisions like that. You know, sometimes people don't always make the smartest decisions. And in that industry, that created some potential challenges for me. But that one certainly worked out. And we went on to actually, at that point in time, have one of the best tours they'd ever had. That was when the crowds really started coming back. There's a certain level of confidence that a band has when they know their business is being taken care of, where it shows in their music. Another quick story, if I might, is everybody in the audience and all of us have been to amphitheaters, right? If you've ever had lawn seats, because lawn seats are cool. Sometimes you can get them for $15 or $20, and instead of spending $150 or $300 a ticket to see an amazing act, you can go and go on the lawn and enjoy you know, that atmosphere, which certainly is great. What I started finding out was every show amphitheater like that there's what's called backfills now if you look a backfill is that huge band of speakers that's hanging from the rafters that are by the lawn well those backfills are intended to give the audience the same sound as if you were in the front row well one of the challenges with that band at the time was skinnered sound a lot of people in the amphitheater shows were not selling that well well certainly their music was great um, a lot of complaints that I was hearing was that people were not getting the sound that they expected. Well, lo and behold, this goes again to one of the reasons why we fired one of the other managers, was on every equipment manifest or every day show is they have backfills. Well, you got to check for those. And some of the people who had been working for them before never checked. Well, of course, the venue's like, why are we spending twenty-five dollars to $40,000 if nobody's checking? Hence, everybody that went to the show that was on the lawn couldn't hear the band, right? Huh. So think about that for a minute. You start getting a reputation of having a crappy sound. Are you going to certainly tell your friends to go to the next show? No. Yeah. And it was fascinating to me. And then when you'd go to the venue manager and their first uh, response to you would be, well, you're the first person that's checked for this band in four years. Things like that, to me, were what certainly started making the difference. They were still great artists. They were still very talented, but their business wasn't being taken care of. And if their business isn't taken care of, the customer isn't taken care of. And and Stefan, I'm looking at Stefan smiling right now because, you know, Stefan and his businesses are some of the best customer service priority businesses that I've ever worked with. And, and that is a customer service business. Most people don't realize that, but music business is because if the people are enjoying what they're coming and paying a good, uh, a, a good premium for, then it's not going to work out in the end. And, you know, taking care of people, taking care of your customer, that's such a priority in any business. And I think 
that priority that the band and that I put with the band in that 10 years that I was with them certainly paid off for them. And it paid off for me as well because I had just so many fascinating experiences. And, you know, I met uh, I mean, just about everybody you can imagine in that industry. If, if it's a classic rock act, I can certainly say I either worked with them or toured with them or met them and met some people who – their stage persona is one thing, their offstage persona. I mean, Sammy Hager, I can tell you, was one of the most amazing folks we, that I ever worked with as far as just being a human being as well and being uh, so grateful for the position he was in. His wife, fantastic. And uh, we did some um, co-headline tours with um, Sammy Hager that were unbelievable. ZZ Top, another act. I got to know them as people, not as artists. And that's so fascinating to see that other side of someone and really who they are. You get to know them at heart. And where those particular two artists, I think I can tell you, their stage presence is amazing. But to know them as people was even so much better for me because they're such great people. And I could, I could call any of those folks up tomorrow and go stay with them. You know, that's the kind of people they are. So um, it's just an amazing experience for me. Well said about, about the personal side of the artist, the entertainer, because I feel that a lot of people get wrapped up in what they see on the movie <clears throat> screen or what they see on the stage. Uh, there's a, there is a tough relationship that people are not able to disconnect with yes meaning a lot of people are so wrapped up in the and what the star is who the star is because they practice to be that versus who the star um, is as a person versus the act that they're putting on and it shows that we are all really genuinely deep down good people at heart and every artist, star, musician, actor, whoever, they have a personal side to themselves. Absolutely. And, and you know, I can say when people ask about my time in the music business, you know, that's typically, about, oh, man, I bet that was fascinating. You know, I mean, it was hard work. I mean, it was not easy. It was hard work. It was a lot of being on call 24 hours a day. Sometimes I'd think I'd have 10 days off and I'd get a phone call and I wouldn't have 10 days off, mm -hmm. you know, and one of those things, but I certainly was grateful to be in it. And I, uh, I'll tell you one quick thing I did everywhere I was in the world is I would sit next to, because you hire bus, uh, bus companies in different parts of the, um, of the world, and you'd have a bus company that would pick you up. And even in the States, is I would always get up about, and that's why I get up so early now, is to, I'd get up between 4.30 and 5.30 every morning, because if we were on a 10 or 12-hour bus ride, the artists don't get up usually until about eight or nine, unless you're checking into a hotel right around then, is I'd always sit next to the bus driver and watch how the world woke up. I found that as fascinating as being in that industry itself, is just watching different places in the world, how people go about their daily lives, you know, it's just, it's, it was fascinating to me. Then I would usually get to a hotel if we got there early, and I'd go for a jog, you know. I'd run around a place I'd never been before, whether it be in, you know, somewhere in the, uh, you know, in Russia or somewhere in Japan or somewhere in Australia. I'd get up and just run and just check out where I was and always say to myself, there's going to be a day I don't do this. And the day I don't do this, I want those memories. And so the memories weren't just dealing with the artists. And, you know, I should also say that, um, you know, the, the Rosingtons were just absolutely phenomenal people to work with and for, as was Johnny Van Zant, Ricky Medlock, Michael Cardelloni. I mean, the whole crew is just a really super 
um, uh, group to work with. And people don't realize that when you get those separate lives together, it's like a whole different family. And, and that's the best way for me to describe it. it. It was our family for 10 years, which I certainly appreciate to this day. That's really a, a special family. And I, I love the fact that you saw an opportunity because you were placed in so many different uh, areas of the world. You saw an opportunity to experience those places and you uh, found how you could do it. And, and you did it. Yes. Just like packing up your car and moving out to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, without knowing what you were doing, you did it. And there's when you say when you're at the fork in the road, as Yogi Berra says, take it. Absolutely. You did it, and you took it, and you took another one and another one. And um, kudos to you, Rick. Kudos to you. Well, thank you. And it's been again. That's just for some reason. That's just kind of always been in my nature to take that. You know, it's similar to the the position I'm in now is, um, uh, you know, when my wife and I came back to Jackson full time, I didn't have a job for about a year and a half. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I can tell you that while it's nice to have some time off in Jackson, it's uh, there was a point where my wife and I looked at the bank accounts and said, yeah, it's probably time <laughs> maybe you start to find a full time job. And you know, all kidding aside, it was one of those. I mean, we certainly weren't in dire straits, but but we took a look at it, and that's where my wife and I, at the same time, we were looking through the paper one day, and and we saw this position for the Chamber of Commerce, and she actually pointed at me and said, "That's your position. You're going to get that job." And went and interviewed for it, and met uh, Tim O'Donoghue, who was the executive director at the time, and I think the first two people on our interview were Jim Waldrop, who many of you know him from the the, the Ward Hotel and now the Cowboy Bar as well. Uh, Sue, great guy, and he was on the board of directors. And Tim O'Donohue and Jim interviewed me, and I got the job offer two weeks later. But I will say this. I didn't get the job offer until they saw my black pickup truck. Being with the Chamber of Commerce, what I can say is we do a lot of events and haul a lot of equipment. So I say to this day that while it certainly was my qualifications that got me the position. I'm going to say that once they looked out that window and saw my black pickup truck is when they really put the offer together. So, <laughs> so. They knew you could, uh, you would be able to haul lots of stuff. Right. Of and that was one of the questions they, they said, oh, so you probably have hauled, I said, I've hauled band equipment all across the country. And amazingly, I got the offer like five minutes later. So. Well, I'm glad they gave you the offer. It was a wise choice for Tim O'Donoghue and Jim Waldrop. Thank you, Tim and Jim. Much appreciated. We're going to take a quick break and a word from our sponsors and come back with Rick Howe and hear a little bit more from Rick. Is it okay to pair beer with Beef Wellington? Does Merlot go with Red Bull? Not sure how to make the perfect bourbon and Coke? Well, the team at the liquor store of Jackson Hole can answer all of these questions plus more. Stop in at 115 Buffalo Way, Jackson, Wyoming, or visit us at tlsofjh.com to experience service that will knock your socks off. The liquor store has been serving the Jackson Hole Valley for over 35 years. I am back with Rick Howe, the vice president of the Jackson Hole Chamber of Commerce. We're having an awesome time here talking about life experiences and if you are just coming into listening to this one of the small takeaways that I have learned from Rick was his parents had an amazing BHAG if you guys haven't read Jim Collins's book 
good to great. I would highly recommend it, but they had the BHAG to take all of their kids to every state in the United States, all 50 of them. And did they accomplish that, Rick? They did, actually. And this happened by the time I was 13 years old. So, in and it was interesting because they were they were on a mission, and um, my father ended up not going with my mother when we went to Hawaii. But he flew all of us kids uh, over to Hawaii when we kind of had the final. That was the final state, and and it was just amazing to see because there were some years that probably I'm I'm going to say you know we all get into financial situations, and when you've got five kids, I mean that's you know no small task. There it's were probably some years that we didn't have the wherewithal, the financial capabilities to do it, but we did it anyways. And kudos to them for however they ended up getting those resources. And I know sometimes it was on a credit card, so a little bit stressors. But in the long term, I think, and that's, I guess, the best way for me to put it, they saw the benefits of that. Mm -hmm. And for me, it certainly opened up my world, really. Um, you know, some people will probably in their lifetimes not take much of a traveling trip, maybe here and there, but I had that great ability and my parents had the wherewithal to say, let's just, let's let them experience in the, the world. And I certainly appreciate the fact that they did. So I'm glad they did too, because <clears throat> yes. that's what got you here yeah, and, absolutely. and how we have gotten to know each other. Moving into what you do for work but personal life i see you out and about in the community and you are very much ingrained in the community what is your driving force what gets you going every day to be so involved in the community that you live in i'll say that a lot of that has to do with what you get out of it i think when when I see our community, you know, we're made up of so many variations of people and cultures, which is fantastic. And But when you come together for a single goal, a single initiative, you know, it's like whether it be the farmer's market on the town square or the people's market or all the events we do at the Chamber of Commerce or all of the volunteer. I mean, we all help each other. And I was speaking with somebody else the other day about this very fact about businesses and what I will say is being in the Chamber of Commerce world, you know, sometimes you get, I always try to keep things on a positive note, but I'll just say this one thing. Sometimes you get people that for whatever reason think of businesses negatively, and I just don't understand that concept because it's people that run businesses. And so many of the businesses in this community, when there's a tragedy, when there's a uh, fundraiser when I mean you see all of their names you know liquor store included certainly sponsors of this sponsors of that you see somebody that has an illness and there's a fundraiser I mean it's those people that drive the community and I think while technology is great and while being able to have a, a tech business I think you know more power to people it doesn't really require community involvement so I try to lead by example when people come, and we get a lot of folks that come into the Chamber of Commerce that are of that technology age and that business climate, and we always try to encourage them to get involved because I think when you have a family, as you do and I do, and you're connected to the community, it helps your family grow in so many ways. And I'm not talking financially necessarily. Your ability to connect to your community and have it be a home and when we talk about, I'll, I'll go to a little bit of a chamber 
philosophy here as well, which has been one of mine for many years, is the investment you make in your home. When I'm connected to my community, I want to invest more in my community, meaning I want to spend more at home. You know, the money that you spend at home stays at home. These are all of the the events and again all of the fundraisers all of the things that happen here you know investing in your community is like investing in your 401k and your retirement because that dollar goes so much further and i'm not saying not to shop you know there's all kinds of great platforms out there to shop online and i appreciate that as well but take more of a concerted effort to connect more to your community we're about ready to launch a pretty cool event and i will say the name of it's called home for the holidays and there's a component of that called Winter Windfall, which will start from Black Friday and go to December 20th. It'll be every year from this point forward that will be reasons for people in this community to come downtown, to connect with each other. I'm not going to go over some of the details yet because we haven't got complete approval for it yet. And it will show people and help them appreciate all that much more the people that live here. And that's one of the coolest things that I see is when I'm out volunteering and whether it be for the Fall Arts Festival or whether it be for Old Bill's Fundraiser or so many things, you see the people that make this community work. And that's what it comes down to. A community, a town, that's a place. It's the people that make the place. And being able to volunteer, and it just feels good to be able to do that. It feels good when I see you and your family out there. It feels good when I see so many other people that I've known for years. And I've been in this valley since 1982. I'm going on four decades of involvement here, and I don't see myself slowing down with it anytime soon because I really love the place I live. And I think it's about passion for me. So when you ask why I do it, it's passion. I mean, I'm passionate about the place. I'm passionate about the people. And, you know, we do have, and it's said time and time again, but we need to understand what it means to appreciate and believe. I mean, you don't get what we have other places in the world. I mean, this place was protected, the natural resources, the wildlife resources. You know, we have such a strong economic backbone, but it requires us appreciating those things that I just mentioned even all that much more. Because without those, we're just another place. Our community is so thankful and appreciative to have people such as yourself that dedicate as much time as you do to this community. And it goes back to when people originally settled here. Yeah, absolutely. They had to rely on each other because they were in a remote area. There were really no resources. The train didn't even come no. to Jackson Hole, Wyoming. So uh, they were lucky to have a doctor when a doctor finally arrived here. And so I have found, and I'm sure you have too, that when you move here, you start uh, – creating a new family and that is your Jackson Hole family and I appreciate your passion and and I can tell you that I certainly feed off of your passion that you offer not only to the chamber but to the community as a whole to be a part of my community and I feel as though that the people who are listening to reach out and find the community even if you live in a big city there are sub communities in that big city that you Absolutely. can be a part of and you will reap the rewards 10, 100 times over because you will create and relationships that will last forever. And so uh, please follow Rick's mantra. Find that passion. Find the passion that you can follow and, and get out there and be a part of the community. Absolutely. And just to add 
to what you just said. I mean, just understand that sometimes an hour of your volunteer effort can make such a big difference. And I know it's easy to sit at home and grab dinner or whatever and, you know, turn on a program with your family, which is great to be able to enjoy each other like that. But what if you took one of those nights and said, gosh, we're going to we're going to give back and a couple hours. I mean, I've uh, done some some work here with our Good Samaritan mission where we'll go cook dinners for them. You know, it's a couple hours out of our time and you can't believe the reciprocal benefit you get from that. Certainly, it's a need that we're fulfilling for them. But on the back end, I mean, the people we meet, and you said it, the relationships in any kind of an engagement like that where you're helping your community is just, uh, it's priceless. And those go back to some of the memories I was talking about. Isn't it great to know that when you're in your retirement years that you've done something to make a place special? Oh, for sure. Not only just in your retirement years to be able to reflect then, but even at any stage of your life to reflect back and what you did the week before, the month before, year, et cetera, et cetera, that you helped impact that place to be special. Sure. I only said that, Stefan, because I'm closer to those years <laughs> than you are. So, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and bef- when we first started talking, before we uh, started the podcast, you were telling me about a book idea that you had, and I, I loved it. Go into that a little bit more for everybody to hear what is on your mind as far as what you're going to put in a book. Sure. So interestingly is when you think of a book and think of what I've done for a living and the career phases I've had, you immediately go to the music business years for the content of the book. And while I can say, so I'll go to the initial ideas. A couple of years ago when my wife and I had purchased a a home and and we were moving stuff from one place to another. I mean, I have a hard rock, what am I trying to say? Hard rock cafe's worth of memorabilia and she was like well, what are you going to do with all this stuff and i mean i've got i've got a whole like storage in my home filled with stuff which is fantastic because so many of the acts that you work with if you've done a good job with them and stuff they give you stuff which i got some great memorabilia and i thought <clears throat> a lot of that also includes photos um it was before digital too so i've got some printed photos and i have some digital stuff and i was looking through that one day and i actually saved every one of my tour books and with the tour books you have a day sheet. A day sheet says, here's where we're going tomorrow. Here's where you're playing. Here's what's the interviews that are scheduled. Here's the bands you're playing with, ABC. And I saved all that stuff because I wanted to archive it because I thought at some point I would put that down on paper. And uh, the gentleman that passed away a few years ago that used to be Janis Joplin's tour manager, I forgot his name. Um, anyways, <clears throat> doing something like that I always thought would be pretty cool. Um But then I thought of it from a bigger context. I thought, well, it shouldn't just be about my phase in the music business or my period in the music business. I really feel like because of a lot of the influences I've had in my life, you know, I've got this special story to tell. And I don't want it to be about, well, Rick Howe making money. I want it to be about a life and about making choices and about when you have, you know, there's no textbook for life. We all know that. Sometimes you think, gosh, what should I do? Should I do A, B, and C? And I thought sharing those experiences, because I have had some great experiences because of the relationships I've had. And you've said that a couple times here, Stefan. So for me, to be able to archive that 
and put that from the time I was four years old. And that story that it still makes me laugh, it made you laugh, of when I drew that full mural on my wall and, you know, the things that my grandfather taught me and the experiences that living and being in Jackson, Wyoming has taught. I talked about that doctor who was the naval officer doctor, uh, Dr. Islam, who I met just kind of on a random when I had an office in Nashville, Tennessee. I met this gentleman and and I became fascinated with him, and he was fascinated with Jackson Hole. These touch points, I call them in my life, that help steer the direction of not only where I'm at today, but where I'm going, I would love to share with people, which will certainly include a lot of the stories and a lot of my time in the music business, because to me, that's, again, all about relationships. And, you know, the the whole no regrets theory for me of uh, of, again, doing things that you know you're passionate about, even though sometimes you can't really worry about what people around you think. And there's this phrase, it's an affirmation that says, I know I now go beyond other people's fears and limitations. I create my own life. I mean, I've lived by that, but it hasn't always been easy. So for me to be able to share that with people on how maybe I came to this decision, because it wasn't an easy decision to make. And uh, the challenges that you work through and uh, I just think sometimes anytime you have that ability and you have special experiences and it doesn't mean I'm special it just means the experience was special so again I, I don't want it to be about well you know Rick Howe's writing this book about the music business that's not what it would be about again will that be a piece of it yeah because that's been a piece of my life but Everything currently, everything that I've been through, everything that I was taught when I was young certainly makes me who I am today. And, you know, I'm happy with who I am. And you said it before about, you know, hopefully people like you. I'm the same way. I really hope people enjoy me and and love my company. And But in the end, I mean, if you don't, you have a choice not to be around me, and that's your choice. But what I can say is if you're around me, you're certainly always going to be around somebody that's positive. Do I wake up every day again? Positive, no, but I know it's my choice to be that way, so I will become that way if I don't wake up that way. And I want to show people my love for life and my passion for not only relationships and people, but passion for what I do because I certainly, my life is fulfilled and has been fulfilled by those philosophies. So if I can put that down on paper, how you put all that on paper, I don't know, Stefan, but I'm certainly going to try. And I told some members of the band that I wouldn't do it until after they um, we're done with their last tour, and guess what? They're on their last tour. So that means I should probably rekindle that thought, put all my stuff in my upstairs room on the floor, and sort through it all and start to get ready to do that because I'm still a young man, but mm-hmm. certainly I'd love to be able to do that and have people enjoy that and be able to ask questions that hopefully um, you know, we can learn some stuff from. And I still learn every day too, so... And again, these aren't things that I just woke up with. It's something somebody taught me. So I figure why not pay back, I guess, is the best way to put it and share some of those experiences that have really helped me. So I look forward to seeing that book and having you back on the show. For, I'd love to come back. For when you have that book published. And I have a feeling you said I'm not sure where to begin and how to start it, but I have a deep feeling that you will find it. You will find that fork. You'll take it, and you'll start that book. I've never written a book. I don't think you've ever written a book, but guess what? There's a lot of authors out there who wrote the first book and that was the first book that they ever wrote. So you got to start somewhere and I know you'll do it. Yeah. (laughs) Rick, this has been an awesome time. 
I really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to come and visit with me and connect with me and share some of your stories today. And with the listeners, if they have an interest in reaching out to you, what is the best way that people can get in touch with you? Well, what I will say is I'll probably give you two ways. I'm going to say if it's more of a personally related issue to email my personal address, which is Rick Howe, R-I-C-K-H-O-W-E, the number one, at AOL.com. But if it's more business or community related, then Rick at JacksonHoleChamber.com. So I'll let you decide uh, which one if you're interested, and I'll certainly respond as soon as I'm able. And thank you for having me, Stefan. You know, you spoke about this idea many months ago um, of having this podcast, and I certainly hope the listeners enjoy this, and I appreciate uh, the opportunity and, and what you're doing to create these. So thank you. Yes, you're very welcome, and, and thank you uh, for saying so. And I'm, I'm excited to have this. I've gotten to learn so much more about everybody that I've interviewed to this point, and I look forward to learning more and sharing stories, not about just Jackson Hole, but about the world and what keeps people going every day. Thank you for being here. We'll see you soon. Great. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Rick. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today to the Jackson Hole Connection. I hope you have enjoyed listening and can take away a little nugget about life. I'm always looking for fun guests who have a connection to Jackson Hole. Know of someone who would be great to be on the show? Please send me an email to connect at the jacksonholeconnection.com. Please subscribe, rate, and review the Jackson Hole Connection on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you receive your podcasts. A special shout out to my friend Luke Taylor for producing and providing the tunes for this podcast. Luke, you help bring it all together. Y'all come back again. You hear?